Hello, folks, and welcome to the weekly podcast of Independent Methodist Church in Macon, Mississippi. We hope that this message will bless your heart, draw you closer to Jesus Christ, and help you in your daily walk as you seek to serve our Lord. You want to take your Bible this morning and turn to the eighth Psalm, is where we'll be this morning. Psalm 8. I'm going to be- begin a series of messages that will go on for several weeks this morning, and I've titled the series Finding the Savior in the Psalms. And this week's subtitle, What is Man? So let's look together in Psalm 8. We're going to read through the psalm. It's just nine verses. Starting with the directions right under the heading, which are also part of the inspired text. For the director of music, according to Getith, a psalm of David... O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray together. Father, we're just so thankful for Your Word, Lord, and the, and the truths that are contained within. Speak to our hearts, Lord. Speak through me this morning as You uh, deliver the message that You have laid on my heart to, to, to deliver, Lord. Pray that our minds and hearts will be open. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, this is a Psalm of David, it says. And if you remember, David was a shepherd boy growing up, tending his father's sheep. And so... He had a lot of time outside at night looking up at the stars and looking up at the heavens. And you can imagine, the, as I have growing up on a dairy, I was outside a lot at night. You look up in the heavens, you feel really small. And it's just the, the glory that's out there that we can see with the naked eye. Back in David's time, they didn't have telescopes. They didn't have binoculars. They didn't have all this high-fangled technology so he could just perceive what he could see with his bare eyes. But we've always had a wonder about the heavens and what's out there. 51 years ago this week, July 20th, 1969, at 2.17 p.m., we landed men on the moon and and Neil Armstrong at 38 years old steps out of the lunar module there and utters those famous words 
one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Just a, sh a short eight years prior to that, President Kennedy addressed a joint session of Congress on the 25th of May, 1961. And he said these words that galvanized us behind this national goal to go to the moon. He said this, I believe this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before the decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to earth. And we did it in eight years. And we have always continued from that point on to search the heavens, spending billions and billions of dollars to find life on Mars or whatever there might be out there. Psalm 8 is a psalm that sort of points to nature. Points to things created by the Lord. But it's also a messianic psalm. It's quoted three times in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, one time Jesus, with his own words, quoted from this psalm. Matthew chapter 21. The other two times, 1 Corinthians 15 and Hebrews chapter 2. We'll look at those in a little bit more in depth in a moment when we get down to them. But I want us to examine this psalm this morning and I want to look at three points and bring three points out that uh, as we look for the Savior, finding the Savior in the Psalms. The first, number one point, the majesty of His name. The majesty of His name. Now, majesty or majestic is not a word that we commonly use in today's language. You don't hear that very much. But majestic means having or showing impressive beauty or dignity. And Jesus certainly does that, doesn't he? Kings are often, kings and queens are often re referred to as your majesty. Your majesty. And Jesus was certainly a king. He talks about it in uh, Revelation, the 19th chapter. You don't have to turn there, but just listen to these words as Apostle John writes in Revelation, the 19th chapter, starting in verse 11. He's speaking of Jesus here. I saw heaven standing open. This is verse 11, chapter 19 of Revelation. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider... It's called Faithful and True. Now, faithful and True in my Bible are capitalized. Let's you know he's talking about Jesus here. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns, indicating he's a king. He has a name written on him that no one else knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And the psalmist says, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And his name is majestic. His name is very, very important. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says these words. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. 
And then if we look in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8 through 11. talks about how wonderful His name is, how majestic. Starting verse 8, And being found in appearance as a man, speaking of Jesus again, He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted Him to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father of God the Father His name is Majestic and is a name above all names it's the only name by which we might be saved in verse 2 of our text going back to Psalm 8 he says, you've set your glory above the heavens. And as I said, you can stand and look at the sky and you just feel real small, real insignificant. Nowadays, telescopes let us know what we can see. The Hubble telescope, all the stuff. And we realize in recent years how big everything is. How many thousands and hundreds of thousands of light years away everything is. But the psalmist said back then, you've set your glory above the heavens based on what he could see with his naked eye. And then I want you to look at the next verse. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Now this is part of this scripture here that Jesus himself quoted in Matthew. It's recorded for us in Matthew 21. You remember Jesus had come into the the city of Jerusalem, the final, final week of his life, and, and uh, the children there. In Matthew 21, the praise of children and infants. Jesus quoted this in 21. In verse 14, he said, the children had cried out. In verse 14, the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. Jesus said you need to go back and look at your scriptures. This is what Psalm says way back then. From the mouths of babes, I will bring my praise. The Lord takes the, the simple and the lowly in life and exalts them and uses them for His work. You think about Moses. He said, go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. What did Moses say? I stutter. I'm not, I'm not very well spoken. God said, who made your tongue? What's that in your hand? A staff. He turned into a serpent and picked it back up and it was a staff again. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies those whom He calls. You may think, 
I'm not able, not able to do what the Lord's asking me to do, but if you trust Him, you can. You can do more than you can ever imagine. Verse 3 says, uh, back in Psalm 8, talks about the heavens and everything out there being the work of His fingers. He says, When I consider your heavens the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. The work of creating the universe for God was just finger work. One commentator said it's, he kind of thought about it like his grandmother crocheted. There's nothing for God. There's nothing for him. Work of creating the universe was just easy for him to do. They tell us that our galaxy is 100 million light years across. Light travels 186,000 miles a second, so that's roughly 6 trillion miles a year. And our galaxy is one of the smaller ones. What is man that you're mindful of us? What is man? You've given us so much attention. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. But his name is not revered as majestic much in the world anymore today. We can't pray in schools. I was reading up this week, you know, Madeline Murray O'Hare was the one that brought the case before the Supreme Court, Supreme Court that took prayer out of schools. And I was reading a an article that her son, William Murray, wrote. Some of you may have read this before, but you know her son, William, actually became a Christian in 1980. But to read the description that he had of his mother growing up, and just the utter sinfulness of her life and the way she raised him and the things that she was involved in just gives you chills. But thankfully, he became a Christian. He became, actually became a Baptist preacher. He's in Texas now, I think. But we don't have prayer in schools. We don't, can't have the Ten Commandments around anymore in different places. They've made us take that down. And you can't even speak the name of Jesus without somebody getting offended anymore. Abortion is illegal. Homosexuality is paraded and, and, and they have gay pride. So many TV commercials you watched today, we, we saw something last night and I didn't even pay attention to it. I was not watching that close, but they're sneaking that kind of stuff in on these commercials more and more to try to make us used to the idea that it's okay. God says it's not okay. God's Word says it's not okay. The Bible says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And that's kind of where we are today. We've allowed these things to happen as a church. Oh, we've got to pray about this, but we've really not done a whole lot to try to prevent it, have we? Romans says, Though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God. And I believe that's where so many in our society are today. We don't honor Him as God. And that leads to my next point. 
the miserable failure of man. Miserable failure of man. Henry Ford said this about failure. He said, failure is only the opportunity to begin again, only this time more wisely. And some of you may have heard this quote by Thomas Edison before. He said, I've not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways it didn't work. <laughs> but mankind has blown it. We've blown it. It started in the Garden of Eden. God put us there. He put Adam and Eve there in the garden to take care of His creation and to have dominion over His creation. We blew it. We messed it up. Pride and jealousy in a vicious cycle. The serpent came and, and tempted Adam and Eve and uh, said, uh, if you, God knows that if you eat of this fruit, you'll be wise like Him. And they wanted to be like Him. So they tasted that fruit. They were sort of jealous of that wisdom. And they wanted it. And then they tried to hide it when they messed up. You think about King David. He wanted Bathsheba. He coveted her. He was jealous of her. And then in his pride, after he had committed that sin, he tried to cover it up. Jealousy and pride. Jealousy and pride. A vicious cycle. The Pharisees, when Jesus was around preaching in the, in the tabernacle, talking, and had crowds around him, they were jealous. They didn't want him messing, their, messing up their show. And in their pride, they put him to death. What is man that you're mindful of him? He's been a miserable failure from the start. Romans 5 and verse 8 says, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Psalm 145 says, The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. And Psalm 73 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It's because He loves us, you see. His name is majestic in all the earth. But man's been a miserable failure in giving him glory and honor. But it's because he loves us. Because of the mercy of the Lord. And that's point number three, the mercy of the Lord. The definition of mercy it's compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish. You see, we deserve death. We deserve punishment. And God has that ability. Being a holy and righteous God, He's got the ability to punish us. But out of His love for us, because of His mercy, He made a way so that we didn't have to be on that cross. Job, the seventh chapter, says the same words that Psalm 8 does, just a little bit different. And I want to examine that for just a minute. Job chapter 7, starting in verse 17. 
And Job says this, What is man that you make so much of him? That you give him so much attention? That you examine him every morning and test him every moment? Did you catch that? What is man that you give him so much attention? We've, we've kind of looked at that in Psalm, but the last part of that verse... said he tests us every moment. Miss Connie's a teacher. Or was. Or still is. Can you test somebody without being in their presence? Typically not. He tests us every moment. What does that say to you? I'll tell you what it says to me. It says he's always there with us. His presence is there with us. Testing us rooting us on, interceding on our behalf because He loves us. Jesus told His disciples, Lo, I'm with you always. And He's pleading for us daily. It doesn't matter whether there's life in outer space, though we have spent billions and billions of dollars since 1961 looking for whatever. It doesn't matter. You know why it doesn't matter? Because Jesus came in the form of man to this earth. The smallest galaxy in the one of the smallest ones in the soul in the in the universe to this little planet and died on a cross for you and for me. That's why it doesn't matter what else is out there. He didn't go to any other planet. He came here for us. And through faith in Him, we can be cleansed of our sin and enjoy eternal life. We talked in Sunday school about in my Father's house, there are many mansions. I go to prepare a place there for you. And He does that for you and for me. So what is man that you're mindful of him? One last thing I want to point out out of Psalm 8. <clears throat> Go back to the, the very first words of that psalm before verse 1. It says, For the director of music according to Getith. Now there's several different commentaries on this. Uh, some say that it's a musical instrument, sort of like a guitar. There's another line of thought that it's uh, sort of a celebration because, as you remember, David fled to the town of Gath with the Philistines, and he played the mad memory played a madman, and he he acted insane so that they wouldn't harm him. But he he sought refuge there. So there's some line of thinking that that possibly could be a celebration of. Of, of being away from the persecution like David was. There are some translators that translate this as a wine press and the joy of treading the grapes and the wine. And so I thought this was pretty interesting, Isaiah 63. Starting in verse 1, it says this, and this is talking of second coming of Jesus here. 
Who is this coming from Edom, from Basra, with his garments stained crimson? Who is this robed in splendor, striding forward in the greatness of his strength? It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Why are your garments red like those of one treading the winepress? In verse 3 he says, I have trodden the winepress alone. From the nations no one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments and I stained all my clothing. Jesus is coming back. And friend, it's either my blood, His blood, or your blood. If you trust in His blood and the blood that was shed on the cross, then you don't have to endure that wrath that He speaks of there. It's either His blood or yours. Or which will it be? What is man that you are mindful of Him? After all that we do and say, it's opposed to the Lord. He still stands with His arms open. Waiting. Pleading. And interceding on our behalf. So that we might spend eternity with Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're just so thankful that You did come and You did give Your life so that we might have life. Father, if there be something in our life that needs to change, we just pray that by the Holy Spirit you'll show us that. Father, forgive us of our sins and be with us now as we go throughout the week. Help us to live for you each day. And lean on you for understanding and for wisdom. Lean on you for guidance. And lean on Jesus for salvation. In his name we pray. Amen. Please stand and I'll turn your hymnal to page 635 in the garden.